This is Angus. Welcome to Angus's Appendices, a Kirby's Kids one-shot. Welcome back, kids, and thanks for listening as we continue Manga Month here on Kirby's Kids. This is Angus. Today, we're going to focus in on when the big two, Marvel and DC, went manga and went to cash in on the manga craze that hit in the late 80s, early 90s here in the United States. Just to give you a context with how big manga has gotten in the States, in 2008, two of Japanese manga juggernauts, Shuishiga and Shogakan, opened the manga publisher Viz Media. And the other top manga powerhouse, Kondasha, also set up shop. So now you had East coming West in a move to reduce the price points for publishing and get those manga titles to an American audience faster. But what prompted all of this? All along, where were DC and Marvel as the years had gone by? Surely in the United States there was a market that had developed because in the 60s and 70s you had the introduction of anime into children's television programming, whether that be afternoon cartoons or Saturday morning fair. What was the big two doing? Well, let's take a trip down memory lane, shall we? And first start off with Marvel and their entree into the genre. Spider-Man the Manga by Ryoshi Ikigami basically retold the Japanese Spider-Man character story battling Electro, the Lizard, Kangaroo, and others. The Japanese J. Jonah Jameson was publisher of Joho Newspaper. Spider-Man J was originally serialized in a monthly shonen magazine from 1970 to 1971 and was one of two Marvel superhero icons to receive its own Japanese story back then, the other one being the Hulk. Only Spider-Man, the manga, has been translated into English and introduced into an English audience, or I should say American audience or Western audience. The Hulk titles, however, have never received such translation or been introduced back into the market. The late 1980s, and when we started to see this emergence of manga popularity here in the States, saw the publication of anime and manga master Katsuhiro Otomo's most well-known epic, Akira, under Marvel's Epic Comics imprint. The 38-issue full-color run was published for the first time in the States from 1988 to 1995. Marvel then attempted to break into the Japanese market again in 1998 with a 12-volume X-Men, the manga series, by Hiroshi Hichiguchi, Mikiako Kojima, Koji Yasui, and others. These stories contained basically the plots borrowed from the first couple of seasons of Fox's X-Men animated series from the early 90s. Then we saw Fantastic Four, Avengers Assemble, Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, all being introduced to the Japanese market. Then there was the birth of the Marvel Mangaverse, which happened in 2002. From the Marvel Mangaverse spawned sequels and spin-offs, such as Spider-Man, Legends of the Spider-Clan, X-Men Ronin, X-Men Phoenix Legacy of Fire, New Mangaverse, Rings of Fate, and Spider-Man Family featuring Spider-Clan number one. This Mangaverse was quite the hit for Marvel in the early 2000s. In addition, that then caused Marvel to kick off the Tsunami imprint 
in 2003, which featured an eclectic mixture of old and new, with the ultimate aim to energize longtime comic fans and capture the interests of new demographics. This attempt by Marvel to capitalize on the growing popularity of manga in the States also brought about Runaways, which remains consequently the only surviving title from that imprint, along with New X-Men and then New X-Men Academy X and Young X-Men post-Messiah Complex. After that came Marvel Next. This was an initiative designed to spotlight young characters in fresh and exciting ways. One of the titles included Live Wires. This character, Live Wires, and other books in Marvel Next line all pretty much crashed and burned, however. The notable exception being X-23. Post Live Wires and Marvel Next line, then came another initiative of Uncanny X-Men and Shin Nagasawa's Wolverine Soul Taker. After that, there came the recruitment of Lone Wolf and Cub co-creator Kazuo Kaioki, returning and writing a Wolverine story, which appeared in X-Men Unlimited number 50. There was also an integration of manga into X-Men Fairy Tales and Avengers Fairy Tales. Well, now we've seen quite the spread and diversity of manga offerings by Marvel. The one that I'll really point to as being emblematic of success for Marvel is definitely Spider-Man and how Spider-Man has been embraced by the Japanese market. So Spider-Man J is a fantastic series to take in and really feel immersed in Marvel's honest attempt in manga. So let's take a look at DC's project, shall we? First, there came Batman, Child of Dreams, originally serialized in Kodinasha's Magazine Z by Kia Asamiya in 2000. Then Batman, Hong Kong by Hong Kong's King of Comics, Tony Wong. And most notably, Batman, Death Mask by Goshinori Natsumi. Then came Hiro Kuwata's Batman manga and Batman manga, The Secret History of Batman in Japan. There was also a Vertigo take on manga, Death at Death's Door, which was a Sandman spinoff done in Manga Digest format by Jill Thompson, who revisited the Season of Miss storyline from Death's point of view, and the Neil Gaiman written, and Yoshitaka Amano illustrated the Sandman the Dream Hunters, which won the Bram Stoker Award for Best Illustrated Narrative. DC created their own imprint, CMX. Its own manga was officially launched in 2004. The line now includes Fred Gallagher's Mega Tokyo series, Minx, an imprint devoted to reaching the shoujo-loving teenage girl reader spearheaded by Shelley Bond and Karen Berger was announced in 2006. The line features works by Cecil Castellucci and Jim Rugg, who co-created the Plain Janes and then Mike Carey, Sonny Lou, and Mark Hempel's Regifters. This would go on to have some success and bring some positive light over to the entire Vertigo and DC offerings over in manga. Most recently, DC ventured into presenting some of their most storied superheroes in Batman and the Justice League 
manga, which debuted in Japan in 2017. This chronicles the exploits of the Justice League, Batman being very popular over in Japan. And in the mix are none other than Superman, The Flash, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Aquaman, and Cyborg. This is a very, very full-blown attempt to essentially give the superhero team-up its proper due over in Japan and putting it in manga form and truly embracing that genre. Just along those lines, there was also, and many can say, okay, this is more of a marketing ploy than anything else, but I think it's an acknowledgement of the power of manga and particularly Japanese culture. When Wonder Woman debuted the movie, there was a team-up with Hello Kitty and Wonder Woman for a Western collaboration. This was not only to appeal to the manga fans over in Japan, but also to manga fans here in the States and bridging that in celebrating the launch of the Wonder Woman movie, which was very well received internationally. Now, DC and Marvel embracing manga should not surprise anyone whatsoever. However, there were some other publications that came in and also tried to capitalize on it. Most notably, and this shouldn't come as a surprise to many, was Image Comics. And there was a Japanese version of Top Cow's Witchblade that was serialized in Red Champion Magazine under publisher Akita Shoten. Archie's Comics was also put into print, as well as Sabrina the Teenage Witch and Josie and the Pussycats. So it's interesting to see this trend now over to the Japanese market and providing a manga spin or take on already established Western properties to appeal to that market. And also at the same time, having an English translation of those works here for manga loving and reading public in the West to also enjoy those new tales or takes, if you will, of those already established legacy characters. I hope that you have enjoyed our little encapsulation of DC and Marvel Go Manga and the chronicling of that evolution of West meeting East. What I'd like to do next is occasionally we will delve into emails that we receive here on Kirby's Kids. And we haven't received many to date because much of our discussions are held over in our group over on MeWe, which I would highly encourage anyone who would, wishes to engage in the conversation, discuss any of our monthly reads to jump on in there and join that group. But we did receive an email recently, which references episode 69 of season one, the kids talk Superman, the death of Superman that Doc and I did. And I'd like to share that with you all. Hey guys, going back to the August 10th episode and referencing Superman in particular, I'm always happy to make three statements about soups and I'll die on this collective hill. Let the debates begin. 
Number one, as you hinted, Superman is boring and frankly a side lane character to me. Depowering him is the very best thing that could have ever happened. The movie Justice League hinted at his ridiculously overpowered history when Supes flew in and said, this guy's still giving you trouble? Like the rest of the league who once gelled were inarguably rocking Steppenwolf's world. We're all like, yeah, my big brother's going to beat you up now. Like some silly schoolyard bully thing. He's boring and still overpowered. Point number two, Superman 2, the movie, is in arguably the worst superhero treatment to date. I'll watch Gorman's F4 and Green Lantern movie, which was marginally better than it is credited, and that Aquaman abomination back to back for 72 hours before ever choosing to watch S2 ever again. Superman 3 and 4 were acknowledged camp and silliness and stand aside. S2 still took itself seriously. Justification? Oh look, they need machines to fly. So did you bitch five minutes ago? It took Kal-El a relative lifetime of growing up and learning to become proficient in not destroying literally everything he touched. The special ed trio shows up and masters everything in three minutes, then collectively lays waste to Terrence Stamp's career. Also, Magic Saran Wrap? Horrible movie. Horrible overpowered Superman, at least Man of Steel, acknowledged the death and destruction through three movies. Point number three, Return of Superman is, Cavill movies included, the best treatment of Supes to date, with Tyler Hoshlin's Virgin on Supergirl a close second. Supes has limits. Supes reaches them and has to dig deep. Supes feels, and Supes feels in very human, very conflicted, and in occasionally very dark ways. And Ralph rocked that role. That Superman had appeal across the board. That Superman needs a quality treatment on the silver screen. Okay, get back to work. Signed, Chris, friend of Angus, drinker of ale, pounder of code. Chris, thank you so much for reaching out and for that email in particular. That really has stoked the flames over on our MeWe discussion group for Kirby's Kids. Love, love, love that take. Really respect where you're coming from and let the debates begin. Please join us over on MeWe in our Kirby's Kids group for that discussion back and forth amongst our community and for our active discussion this month of Manga Month here on Kirby's Kids where our comic book character of the month is Big Hero 6 and our graphic novel of the month is Full Metal Alchemist Volume 1. We, again, would love to hear from you. Please leave us a message via the Anchor app or send us an email at kirbyskidspodcast at gmail.com. Excelsior!